Today, you are part of an important conversation about our shared future. The Ian Thompson Forum on World Issues explores a diversity of viewpoints on international and public policy issues to promote understanding and encourage debate across the university and the state of Nebraska. Since its inception in 1988, hundreds of distinguished speakers have challenged and inspired us, making this forum one of the preeminent speaker series in higher education. It all started when Ian Jack Thompson imagined a forum on global issues that would increase Nebraskans' understanding of cultures and events from around the world. Jack's perspective was influenced by his travels, his role in helping to found the United Nations, and his work at the Carnegie Endowment for International Peace. As president of the Cooper Foundation in Lincoln, Jack pledged substantial funding to the forum, and the University of Nebraska and Leeds Center for Performing Arts agreed to co-sponsor. Later, Jack and his wife Katie created the Thompson Family Fund to support the forum and other programs. Today, major support is provided by the Cooper Foundation, Leeds Center for Performing Arts, and University of Nebraska-Lincoln. We hope this talk sparks an exciting conversation among you. And now, on with the show. privilege to welcome you this evening to the Ian Thompson Forum on World Issues. For more than a quarter century, the University and the Thompson Forum have partnered with the Cooper Foundation and the Lead Center for Performing Arts to make this possible. Tonight, we have a special Valentine for you. Our speaker is an internationally renowned dancer, visiting Lincoln for the first time. She's also an author and a speaker. Misty is the principal dancer with the famed American Ballet Theater. She is the first African-American woman ever to be promoted to this position in the company's 75-year history. Ms. Copeland is here in Lincoln this week as part of the GK Platinum Performance Series Command Performance at the Leeds Center, where the American Ballet Theater and the St. Louis Symphony will partner together to perform Firebird. Misty's endorsements, past and present, include American Express, Coach, and Diet Dr. Pepper. In 2014, the Under Armour company launched Misty as one of their faces of the I Will What I Want campaign. It was a commercial that went viral, gaining more than 9 million views to date. Misty has also been featured in numerous publications and television programs. These include CBS Sunday Morning, 60 Minutes, The Today Show, This Week with George Stephanopoulos, Vogue, Essence, Ebony, Time, and People Magazine. And in 2014, President Obama appointed Misty to the President's Council on Fitness, Sports, and Nutrition. This evening after Misty's remarks, you will have the opportunity to ask her questions. Please feel free to use Twitter, tweeting with the hashtag EnThompsonForum. There will also be ushers uh, in the aisles to collect any written questions, uh, and they'll be brought to the stage. This evening, hosting Ms. Copeland are Bill Steffen, Executive Director of the Lead Center for Performing Arts, and Ann Chang, Artistic Director of the Lead Center for Performing Arts. Ladies and gentlemen, the title of tonight's performance presentation is a conversation with Misty Copeland. Please join me in welcoming our hosts and Misty Copeland.
Thank you all for coming. I'm so excited to be here. Missy, we're so honored and excited to have you here, the American Ballet Theater and the St. Louis Symphony um, at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln at the Leeds Center this weekend. Um, we, it's been a moment we've been waiting for for, for years. For, for those who aren't familiar with American Ballet Theater's role in the arts world, can you share with us what makes American Ballet Theater distinctive and what the company's meant for you as a dancer? Yeah, um, well, we are America's national company, um, which I think, I think we were appointed that position maybe like eight or nine years ago, um, which is incredible. Uh, but for me, ABT has been so much more than just a ballet company. I feel like they, they were the first company to really incorporate theater into the ballet um, and really put on productions and, and use um, not just American choreographers, but from choreograph choreographers from all over the world that were doing more than just creating classical works. And I really feel like ABT has been a leader in that way since its um, inception. Uh, but at 13 years old, when I started um, dancing, my teacher definitely saw um, she looked at the Joffrey Ballet as well, but definitely saw ABT as a place um, for me, a young black girl at that time, to be able to kind of fit in easily into a company that was extremely diverse in terms of bringing in dancers from all over the world that have different training and different body types and just felt like if I'm going to make it anywhere in the classical ballet world, ABT was probably that place. What is it like collaborating with new artists like the St. Louis Symphony or performing in a new space like the Leeds Center for Performing Arts? Um, it's exciting. I, you know, one of the things I love about ABT is that we're a touring company. So we have so many new opportunities constantly coming our way. And it, um, it just keeps you on your toes, um, always having the opportunity to, to um, be inspired and um, uh, be amused to someone and, and just have an opportunity to really open your eyes to the way that people work from different parts of the world. Um, so it's, it's amazing to people to travel to different parts of the U.S. or to different parts of the world and work with different symphonies and, um, and it's always this constant collaboration and you just have to be really professional and ready because you don't have a lot of rehearsal time. It's like you're in the theater and then bam, you're on, you're on the stage performing. <laughs> That's great. Exciting. Misty, so the American Ballet um, Theater is here for a week doing the residency, working with our students at the university in their classes, and I can just imagine that the students would have a life-changing oh. experience. I am very proud of this outreach part of the yeah. mission of the LEAD Center. Yeah. Um, could you speak about a time maybe in your young life where somebody had had that much impact, yeah. life-changing impact? I wish you? I would have walked into the class today. I was I, like roaming around the theater by myself um, this morning, yeah. and I heard class is going on. It's like, oh, this must be the master classes that are being taught. Um, no, I think it's it's so important to um, to have, you know, the ballet community is so small, but it's so rich and, and so warm. And I don't think people really understand that, especially who don't know the, the ballet world, um, how supportive it is within the community. Uh, I was inspired by a lot of dancers that I didn't know. Um, Paloma Herrera was one of them early on in my career. You know, I watched her descent through ABT probably from the time she uh, was a soloist up until, you know, she retired and um, we became really close, but she was definitely someone that um, gave me hope. Um, you know, seeing her journey of, of being, um, a, you know, a principal dancer, I think she was 19, like the youngest to ever be promoted and, and move through the company that quickly. And it was like, just made things seem more 
possible for me, you know, having su such little training. I only danced for four years before I was accepted into the company. Um, but as a black woman, and the older that I got um, and realized as a professional how few there were in top-tiered companies, and I was the only one in ABT for a decade. Um, Raven Wilkinson was one of those women um, who really pushed me to see my, my journey and, and what was possible beyond just being a dancer. Um, Raven Wilkinson is a former ballerina. She was the first and only black woman to dance with the Ballet Russe de Monte Carlo. And she left the company after a pretty short career um, because she exper experienced extreme racism um, traveling through the South in the 1950s and her life was threatened by the KKK. So they thought it was best that she leave the company. Um, and I, I followed her journey and watched her story in a documentary about the Ballet Russe. And, and I just felt like, first of all, not a lot has changed in the ballet world. Um, in terms of diversity, and it was just like, she, she went through so much more than me and persevered and, and still has so much love and appreciation for the art form. And then I found out she lived a block from me, and now we're really <laughs> close friends, and it's been amazing to have someone like her in my life that's you know gone through what she has, and, and um, I think made me see that I could be so much more for people as she was for me. Course. Yeah, and, and the topic of outreach, of course, if you yeah. uh, want to talk about the Boys and Girls Club, yeah. which is really how you came right. to, to the yeah. ballet. There's so many organizations that have just been incredible um, to me and, and my family and helping me to get to this point in my career, but the Boys and Girls Club was the first. Mm -hmm. um, I, I attended from the age of seven to, to until 13, but um, when I was 12 and a half or 13, um, there was a teacher, a local ballet teacher in San Pedro, California, where I grew up, and she was um, offering free ballet classes at the Boys and Girls Club. There was no dance studio there, so we were on the basketball court um, with bars set up, and I was terrified, and I had absolutely no interest in ballet. I, I'd never heard classical music. It was, I was literally like forced into taking this class, um, and my teacher uh, was looking for diverse students to bring into her to her school on full scholarship because she really wanted to, you know, push that message, you know, about giving everyone an equal opportunity, and um, you know, and then the rest is history. But from there, like my my relationship with the Boys and Girls Club has grown so much, and there's dance studios in almost every club that I've visited all over the country, um, you know, because I've I'm really pushing that that like if you're going to reach the communities that don't have the opportunity, that don't have the means, that aren't able to see um, and be educated in classical ballet, like that's an incredible way of doing it. So um, with ABT, I helped to start a diversity initiative called Project Plie with the Boys and Girls Clubs and, and with ABT. So that's like, so, means so much to me. Yeah. Would you like to tell us a little bit about that project? Okay. <laughs> um, so yeah, it, it, it came up, you know, um, I think it's something that I will, do in the future, like um, more hands-on. Like I would love to have my own foundation and um, and continue that message of of introducing ballet to more people, especially Americans. I feel like we're just not as comfortable, not as educated in um, what you know the fine arts are, and especially ballet. Um, but we came, me and my manager and um, the former associate director of ABT. Um, we, Rachel Moore, we sat down at a private dinner and just kind of came up with this idea. It was like, 
let's try and kind of cre recreate what your journey was. You know, starting at a boys and girls club, had, you know, it was across the street from my public school. I just could walk in and was given a free ballet class. Um, so we've, we modeled Project Plie after that. And, um, you know, we exist in so many different communities all over the United States now, not just in um, the boys and girls clubs, but in local schools. And, um, and we have connection with local ballet schools. So you're being trained in the JKO, which is ABT school, the Jacqueline Kennedy Onassis School. So all of these teachers are trained in our curriculum. So they're getting the same training that these dancers are getting mm -hmm. in New York City, training at American Ballet Theater School. That's fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> um, yes. <laughs> also want to congratulate you on your book, Ballerina Body. Thank you. Um, can you share highlights of the book and, and the impact that you hope it will have related to body image and fitness? Yeah, it's funny. We were talking um, backstage about food. And <laughs> um, so food has always been like a big passion of mine, not just eating it, but cooking. Um, and so, you know, throughout my career, I've, I've, I'm constantly asked, you know, pretty much like the same bulk of questions. What do you do um, for cross-training outside of dancing? What do you eat? Um, how do you stay mentally prepared and strong and emotionally prepared? Um, you know, who are the mentors in your life? Do you mentor other people? So it was like, let's just put this all together in a book. And so that's where the idea came from. So it covers, you know, all of those kind of um, areas of my life. Um, and it's funny that I, I haven't had Krispy Kreme in over a decade because it was definitely like the downfall of a, a point in my career where I was just overeating because I wasn't happy with myself and how I looked. And, and I had my first Krispy Kreme today and I did okay. I just had one. <laughs> Um, no, but it's, um, I'm really, really, really proud of this book because it's, it's, it's called Ballerina Body and I have a lot of people that haven't yet opened the book and they're like, um, well, I'm not going to look like you. And it's like, that's not the point of the book. Um, the point of the book is, is about creating your best version of yourself. So I say that I've created my version of what a ballerina body is to me, which is my healthiest self and, and not trying to look like someone else, not being unhealthy, which is the image that's so commonly associated with ballet dancers that we don't eat. You have to have blonde hair and white skin, and um, I'm not any of those things. So, you know, I wanted to show that it's possible to be strong and to be healthy and to succeed and be an individual. That's fantastic. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> Um, on athleticism in that way, um, you are the first ballerina or a performing arts spokesperson for a very heavily sports-dominated mm -hmm. company like Under Armour. Yeah. Uh, and Under Armour, as Mike had pointed out, had, um, had a campaign called I Will What I Want, which speaks to women. Uh, it's a female-driven uh, campaign, mm -hmm. and it speaks to women not um, waiting for permission or um, you know, uh, advice or affirmation from others to do what they want. Yep. Um, so could you speak a little bit about what that campaign or that particular message mm -hmm. might mean to you? Yeah, um, you know, getting the opportunity um, with a company like Under Armour, I think that they were a little skeptical on their end. Well, not the people that saw that, that mm -hmm. had the vision, which mm -hmm. were the women mm -hmm. that worked for Under Armour. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
they were like, this is the perfect pairing. How can you not see this? And Kevin Plank, the CEO, was kind of like, okay, we'll sign her and see what happens. And, um, you know, and, and I felt like we're clearly going to show them that women are the most incredibly strong people on this planet mm -hmm. and that ballerinas are, I think, the hardest working the athletes in the world. So I was like, oh, we'll show them. We just got to get them to tape me and, you know, and, and we can really show them the behind the scenes. But I think that's what's missing, again, in America. I think that a lot of people, um, you know, something that's so foreign to them, it just doesn't it bring them in, it doesn't interest them. And I think uh, with the Under Armour commercial and I Will What I Want in particular, it really gave people an insight into the behind the scenes of what it takes to put on this perfect show that people assume, you know, ballerinas are these perfect, thin little people that aren't very strong and it, you, you, we work so hard to make it look easy, to make it look effortless. Um, and I feel like that commercial really gave people that kind of insight. And then with the message attached to it, you know, showing, um, you know, it wasn't exactly my story, the, the message that was being read by the young girl in the commercial, but it was, you know, close yeah. to it. But it was an actual letter from a young girl who had been rejected from a school because of the shape of her body, because of the color of her skin. Um, and it was showing that you can hear all of these things and, and um, still um, succeed. And, and that's so much a part of Under Armour's message. It's kind of, you know, this big group of underdogs that go on to be extremely successful athletes because they don't let, you know, hearing that word no stop them. Um, and I think it's so incredible that they have so many amazing women that are carrying that message and showing little girls that we can be strong and independent and have a voice and an opinion and that we're still feminine and beautiful women. Absolutely. <laughs> You've demonstrated amazing discipline in your life that has led to exceptional achievements. Um, what advice can you give us on being disciplined to achieve our professional goals, you know, good health, yeah. um, as well as the dreams that seem unattainable that mm -hmm. you've been able to, you had a dream and you made it become reality. Yeah. What advice would you give to us? Um, I think it's hard to put so much pressure on yourself when you think, when people think about discipline, I think they think about like depriving themselves of um, fun, of happiness, of pleasure. And I think it's all about balance. Um, and it's something that I've learned. You know, I've gone through periods of time where I'm like, if I'm going to get there, this is the only way. And I'm not going to hang out with anyone. I'm going to do this and work hard. And, and you know, and then you, you're like, oh my God, it's five years went by and I haven't done anything except for dance on the stage. Um, so it's, I think it's really just about finding um, a balance that works for you and not trying to be perfect because it's impossible. Um, allowing yourself to have those days that where you fail or whatever that means to you and knowing that tomorrow's another day to try again and to be better and to start over. And that's just kind of how I've lived my life. Um, just not getting caught up and, and um, kind of torturing myself because I wasn't perfect one day or, you know, whatever that word means and, and, um, and it's important, I think, to have support around you, people to be there to encourage you and to help guide you and to motivate you. And my husband's been a big part of that part of my journey. That's great. Thank you. Um, in our audience today, we have many parents and young dancers. Um, what advice would you give the younger you um, as they embark on this yeah. career? I mean, I think similarly to what I just said and, and to what I still you know, tell myself today, um, I think I would have 
told myself to like calm down at a younger age and and enjoy the journey um, and not just trying to put so much pressure on yourself to be perfect and and to reach a goal that um, you know it's 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 great to dream but you know at my age I'd been dancing for like two years and I was like watching Paloma Herrera rise through ABT and I'm like I'm not there yet something's wrong and it's like (laughs) you you know you have to travel your own journey and your own path and experience things and build character and um and become a performer and an actress and there's so many layers and it's so beautiful to experience all of that Right. I mean, if you consider that you came to dance at 13, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and so many of the girls are now starting so young. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So it's even more important. Yeah. So just relax and enjoy yourselves, but work hard. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I want to make it perfectly clear that you have, um, with through much hard work and dedication, have reached the 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 prime the, the success of your prima ballerina success mm-hmm. and period and the fact that um, we shouldn't let your race eclipse your talent mm-hmm. um, so um, could you talk a little bit about the challenges you faced and perhaps do you believe that there are additional challenges because of your race oh absolutely and that's something that I've never shied away from or tried to cover up or tried to you know in the end like I'm a dancer in in American Ballet Theater and I don't want to be treated any differently I don't feel like I'm any different from anyone around me but to ignore the fact that there hadn't been any any before me Mm -hmm. and in most top tiered companies there haven't, like there clearly is something wrong there. And I think that it's doing a disservice to bringing more diversity to ballet by ignoring that or by not having a voice. And by meeting Raven Wilkinson and hearing her story, she gave me that power to feel like my voice and being a black woman in the ballet world is just as big as my talent. Mm -hmm. And I felt like I had a responsibility as a black woman to be the voice for so many that didn't feel comfortable, that weren't supported, um, or you know felt like they could lose their position within a dance company by speaking up. Um, but it's it's as it's interesting. I feel like because I grew up in Southern California, which is very diverse, um, I was kind of um, closed off from the realities of the ballet world. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I was told at 13 years old, like, oh, you have the perfect George Balanchine ballerina body. Well, at the time I did, I hadn't gone through puberty. Um, (laughs) And my skin color was never brought to my attention anyways, to my face, Um, though it was behind the scenes I later learned. Um, But it wasn't until I became a professional that I realized um, how important it is to understand who you are, I think, to bond with people who are similar to you, at least in your um, early ages of, of, you know, coming into your own. And I feel like I didn't have any of that in the ballet world, so I started to second-guess why I was there and that I would ever make it beyond the corps de ballet. I mean, I felt so fortunate just to be in the corps de ballet, but it was like, what what is my journey really going to be? Like, is it realistic for me to even dream of being a soloist or a principal dancer as a black woman? Um, you know, I, I had several people, people that were on the staff at ABT, either they said it to my face or I heard it through people that I didn't belong on the stage in Swan Lake um, because I didn't fit in with the corps de ballet because of the color of my skin. Uh, I, you know, I dealt with uh, being told I was fat, being told my breasts were too large, being told I was too muscular, and 
It's taken a long time and I've had really amazing relationships with other black dancers in the ballet community. And the common theme is that a lot of uh, minority dancers are told they have the wrong body. Um, and to me, that's, that's just code language for you of the wrong skin color. Mm -hmm. And that's something that I really just want to address and, um, and just to show you know, people that maybe don't want to accept more diversity or, um, or those dancers that you know, have been told they don't, they're not right for it, that I'm proof that it doesn't matter the package you come in. If you are an artist and you're passionate, like, it's the beauty that people come to see on the stage. It's not someone's skin color or that they look exactly like the dancer that danced 20 years before us. Um, it's about being an, ind an individual and making people feel something in the audience. Wait, wait. <laughs> <laughs> but, and you know, I, I ask you this question, uh, knowing well, how you're going to respond, which is that now that you've succeeded and have taken this position, that you feel additional pressure, not a pressure so much, mm -hmm. but responsibility, you know, responsibility um, and, and to some great lengths that you've gone and that you've referred to when you're dancing with injuries, mm -hmm. and because you know that the audience has come to yeah. see you. Yeah, um, um, yeah I'm, I'm often asked, you know, I don't know if it's that I, maybe I'll look back in, in 20 years and I'll be like, wow, there was a lot of pressure. But at the moment, I don't particularly feel it. I think also because I just don't often allow myself to be removed from, like, in, in looking in. It's like I, I try and tell myself to be so present and in the moment with all of these opportunities that I have. Um, but it's, it's, again, yeah, it's a responsibility that I feel like I can't, like, I'm in this position, and I've often thought, like, when will there be another black woman in this position? Like, I have to use this opportunity to maybe open more doors for more people to come in and, and, and be a part of this incredible art form that's mm -hmm. completely transformed and changed my life and, right. and made it so much richer than, right. than it was before. And you are doing it with the Project Plie, among other things. What do you see in terms of the current environment related to diversity in performing arts? And mm -hmm. do you feel like things are changing? What do you see in the future? And, and what would you say to us as what, what can we do to, yeah. to, to, to support you and the, the things that you're working toward? Um, I've definitely seen a change. And, and I think that, um, you know, sometimes you have to kick the door down. You can't just like pry it open slowly and like poke your head in, but I feel like by speaking so candidly um, about race um, and, and just being true and honest and, and not just sharing my journey, but other people that I've, that I've talked to and, um, or read their stories, I think it's so important for other people to understand what other people experience. Um, and it's not, you know, putting other people down, it's just educating people and opening their eyes. And I feel like, um, you know, being given all of these opportunities, you know, with Barbie, with Under Armour, uh, with all of these incredible brands, Estee Lauder, Seiko, like I'm, I'm being shown to more people than would typically come to the ballet. And because this conversation is being had on a much broader stage than just the ballet community, it's forcing the ballet community to address it. And, um, 
mean, I guess you could call it affirmative action, but if it's gonna make change, then it that needs to be done. And, and I feel like that's just where we are now in, in the ballet world especially, is that the spotlight's on us. People are looking in like, oh really, there isn't diversity? Like we never noticed before, because people weren't that interested. And you know, a lot of people are interested now and they're seeing it and it's forcing people to um, make that change. And so it's, I think it's just the first step. And I, I, I just encourage other, dancers, whether you're uh, you know, a minority or not, just to, to be open about having that conversation and, and, um, and not afraid to like, address it. Okay. Here at the University of Nebraska, you know, we're striving to create an inclusive environment that's welcoming to all, where each person feels accepted, valued, and safe. Um, how do you feel the arts can help achieve this vision, you know, our performing arts center that's mm -hmm. presenting today's, you know, forum as well mm -hmm. as just through through art. I mean, I think it's just getting more people into the arts. <laughs> Once you're in it, like we're doing it. You know, I think it's just a matter of getting people interested in, and um, I think maybe a lot of parents are when they when they put their children in the arts they're just thinking like is this going to be a future for them you know is this something that they're going to make a career out of and i think that um it's so important to expand a child's mind and creativity and um there's so much that the arts can do for your for you beyond just going on to be a professional um you know for me as a young person i was in public school and I was extremely shy and I wasn't learning in a way that worked for me. I felt like I spent my first, I know, up until, well, maybe all through school, <laughs> like not really learning anything. And I feel like it wasn't until I went into ballet that it expanded my mind and it made me understand things in a way that just going to school and reading a book or having a teacher speak at me wasn't helping. Mm -hmm. But I think being a part of the arts just, it, it, it broadens your, um, I don't know, it just allows you to grow in ways that I think not being a part of the arts, like you just, it's not possible. And so again, I think it's just showing people that it can do so much for you. There's no way if you met me at 13 years old that you would ever think I'd be on a stage speaking. Like people <laughs> thought I was mute, <laughs> no joke. And, um, and I just feel like it's, it's made me grow you know, intellectually and, and it's made me more of a caring person. It's just, it's done everything for me. I don't know who I would be without the arts. Well, on the topic of art, so what are um, your favorite choreographers and, and why? Hmm. Um, <laughs> I'd say one of the first choreographers that I worked with as a young dancer in ABT that I fell in love with, um, his name was is Yorma Elo, and he does very modern and contemporary works, and um, he gave me a lot of opportunities. When you're in a classical ballet company at the level of ABT, you really have to pay your dues before you're ever given an opportunity to be highlighted or featured in something. Um, but with ABT, when they do more contemporary works, usually the principal dancers are just doing too much or they're not really interested in that stuff. So they use a lot of the younger dancers. And I was someone that um, I think adapted really well to other movement. And, and that can be really hard for a lot of classical dancers that have just trained in that their whole lives. So he was a, a big part of, I think, um, them seeing me um, as an individual was working with him. But uh, Alexei Rutmansky, who mm -hmm. created mm -hmm. Firebird for me, um, he's one of the most phenomenal um, creative people that I've 
ever met in my life. Like, I have no idea how he has the visions that he has. And then you go in the audience and you're in the studio and you're like, what is this? What is going on? This looks crazy. And then you sit in the audience and it's just like everything just blossoms and opens up. And he just has this very old school way of, um, of using the, the ballet choreography as this incredible language in telling a story. And last, I, um, someone that I've wanted to work with my entire career, I just started working with last month, um, so it's really exciting, but Wayne McGregor, um, who's a choreographer for the Royal Ballet, and um, I mean, he does some really out there, modern, crazy stuff. Stuff that I could have picked up like this when I was 19, and at 35, I'm like, oh my God, I can't. <laughs> my brain and my body is not like working the way it used to. <laughs> It's really hard. So is AVT doing some of his yes, work? Yes, yeah. Uh -huh. We right. have a new, uh, new piece by Wayne that's um, going to premiere in the spring season. Right. Yeah. yeah. So going back to bringing people to the arts, mm -hmm. I think there are some reports that uh, about six million people in the United States attend um, ballet performances, mm -hmm. uh, yet your Under Armour commercial hit nine million right away. Um, so speaking in broad numbers, what would you say to these three million people uh, to entice him to come and experience the ballet. Oh, I think that's the perfect way of doing it. Again, mm -hmm. I, think, I think that so many people look at ballet as a European art form that's very exclusive um, and just something they can't relate to. And it, I think it's all about getting them in the door. And, you know, I've had, through so many different channels, you know, when I, when I started working with Prince, um, I was a, a new soloist in the company. And um, when he asked me to be in a music video, I, you know, I was never interested in doing anything outside of American Ballet Theater. Like, that was my life. And I thought, why would I be a dancer in a music video with Prince? Like, this doesn't really make any sense for me. And then, you know, the more that I, I thought about it and after meeting him um, and, and just having so much respect for him as an artist, and the fact that he respects so many different artists in different um, genres, um, I was like, well, this is a perfect opportunity to perform ballet on point, on top of a piano, in front of thousands and thousands of people that would have never stepped into the Metropolitan Opera House. And, and it happened. I mean, to this day, um, I don't know, it was maybe 10 years ago now that I first started working with him. And to this day, I still meet people who say, I saw you for the first time at Madison Square Garden or in, in Paris or ever performing with him. And once I was in the theater, or once I saw you perform, I stepped into the theater, and now I'm a fan of the ballet. And I go on other nights when you're not performing. And I feel like you, you have to connect with people in a way, you know, that they're going to be interested. But I feel like once they step into the theater, it's so magical that you can't not fall in love. Are we going to see you in any more music videos? No. Well, <laughs> <laughs> you, you never know, but <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> Well, there's only only one. There's prince. only one prince. Yes, that's right. Well, on the topic of the, of the future, um, you know, you've done some stuff with, in Vail recently. You yeah. did some collaborations with the Kennedy Center. Yeah. Um, what future projects? You know, I mean, you're obviously doing speaking, writing mm -hmm. books. What future projects do you see yourself doing in the future? And yeah. like, what are your new dreams? What's the next step for Misty Copeland? Uh, I don't know. I feel like I'm. Um, I've been a principal now, for, I think I'm going on three years, but it still feels so new. I mean, I've been in the company for like 15 years, but, but becoming a principal dancer, it's such a different um, weight on you. And, um, you know, taking on all of these incredible roles, uh, 
you just can't do them enough, you know, until you, and feel comfortable. So I just feel like I'm so focused on my career still at this point. But yes, I have so many things happening outside. Um, I have the Nutcracker in the Four Realms, the Disney movie that's coming out yeah. this November, um, which is extremely exciting, uh, with an amazing cast, like Kira Knightley and Helen Mirren and Morgan Freeman, and it's pretty incredible, and I'm the, ballerina princess in it. So I do a whole dancing thing. Um, so that's exciting. Yes. Um, I'm working on a new children's book that's in the very, very early stages. So I'm really excited about that. But I think that I'll, I will forever be doing projects that are connected to ballet, that are, you know, pushing that, the envelope of, of just, you know, the lack of diversity and having that discussion. And um, I don't know, I'll, I'll be involved forever in some way. Well, we want to take this moment to remind you that we will be taking questions from the audience uh, with the hashtag E.N. Thompson uh, Forum. And also, we'll be able to ask questions uh, by raising your hand, I believe. Actually, um, we have with note cards. Note cards, cool. yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, what are the most important roles you play on stage and in life, and how do you prepare for them? Wow. <laughs> That's a big question. Um, most important, I don't know how to, I mean, I feel like I take every single role that I'm given very seriously, but one that I just, it, I don't, I've never been someone that got nervous before I performed. Um, I've, I've always felt more comfortable dancing in front of thousands of people than I did, you know, I don't know, speaking in public. Uh, <laughs> in class, like raising my hand and having, or having to like answer a question, it terrified me. But um, Swan Lake is the one ballet that still is just like, it's just held on such a high standard. And so many iconic ballerinas have performed this role. So it's still something that I feel like, I don't know if I'll ever be at the point that I want to be. Um, so that's something that will always, always keep me striving. Um, but I, I'm just so happy and fortunate to be in this position and to be doing all of these incredible principal roles that still like make me excited to do them. Um, I think that uh, the role outside of ballet and, and that's so extremely important, of course, is a wife. Um, and, and also I think just being a figure that um, is representing dance. Um, this is kind of a, a fun question. Uh, what makes you laugh? What makes you cry? And what makes you go, hmm? <laughs> this is going to sound so bad. I love watching people fall. <laughs> Not like... Any particular setting? Not like bad, like hurt yourself falling, uh -huh. but... I think it's the funniest thing. Okay. And it makes me cry as well. I mean, when I fall too, I, I fell down the Great Wall of China. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh huh. I'm very clumsy outside of ballet. <laughs> <laughs> but even when I fall, like, I think it's the funniest thing ever. Um, I'm also a crier. When I laugh, but I'm also a crier. I don't know. Um, meeting young dancers that have like incredible inspiring stories like I'm such a baby and I'll just start crying um, hearing it and connecting with them um, what makes me go hmm I think 
I think when I still hear stories or meet people that just don't really understand like equality, whether it's, you know, you know, women and men or uh, race, um, it's something that's just so hard for me to really understand and it makes me go, hmm. <laughs> we, we have one more question okay. for you. Um, but before we get to that, I just want to remind us, as, as Ann mentioned, that you can submit your questions on Twitter using the hashtag IanThompsonForum, and our ushers have note cards. Um, if you'd like to grab a note card and write a question and pass it to them, and, and we'll be taking questions from the audience in just a, just a few minutes. So um, this next question is a pretty big one. Uh -oh. <laughs> um, and we are the Ian Thompson Forum on World Issues. Mm -hmm. um, and what do you wish, or what wish do you have for the country and the planet. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, I, I think similarly to what I was just mm -hmm. talking about, you know, I think that especially in the climate that we're living in right now, um, I think that it's, it's important for us to remember that we are all the same. It doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter the color of your skin. It doesn't matter what gender you are. I think it's important for us to remember like humanity um, and, and, Again, the arts, I feel like, you know, with so much funding being taken away from the arts right now that um, I think it's even more important for us to really like stand up and have a voice and support one another and, um, and just to share the importance of it and what it can do for us as human beings. I think it, it's so uniting and I think that's what this country and the world needs. Absolutely. Awesome. It's been such a pleasure and honor to have this conversation with you, you. today. Um, Mike Zeleny um, will now share some questions um, from our audience. All right, thanks very much, Bill and Ann and Misty. Our first question comes from a member right here uh, in, live with us. Many performers and athletes have routines or superstitions before they perform. Maybe baseball players don't change their socks when they're winning. Do you have any such habits if you'd like to share? <laughs> I definitely change my tights every performance. <laughs> I'm so not a superstitious person, and, and yet most artists, I, I think, are. Um, I mean, I've, I've seen some crazy stuff right before people go on, especially the Russians. They do lots of crazy things. They knock on the floor and spit and do weird things. And um, <laughs> I feel like I... Um, Especially before performing, I like to I like things to be as normal as possible. I feel like when you change the environment of like what you're used to, you know, rehearsing in, that's when you're you know you get kind of out of sorts. So, yeah, I don't know. Even like I, when you're in the corps de ballet, everyone's in one big dressing room, and then when you're promoted to soloist, you usually move to a, a smaller one that's you know more intimate, and then as a principal, you usually have your own. Um, and I was like, I just didn't want to be alone. I wanted to be surrounded by like my sisters, like the people in the corps de ballet. And so um, maybe that was a superstition. Like after I was promoted, they literally had to drag me out of the dressing room when I was promoted to principal dancer. They're like you can't be in here anymore. We need space for other corps de ballet dancers. And I was like, no. <laughs> Misty, our audience is falling in love with you. They want to know where you got your boots, where you got your sweater belt. <laughs> We'll let you respond to those on the Twitter feed if you'd like. <laughs> we 
have some aspiring dancers with us in the house this evening. Um, what is a piece of advice or two that you would give to some of the young dancers who aspire maybe to achieve part of what you've accomplished? Yeah, I think it's, it's, it's such a fine, there's such a fine line between, um, you know, working really hard and then being too hard on yourself to the point of you not growing. And so, you know, I think it's, it's important to use all the people around you for those things. Like your teacher is there to be hard on you and, and you should listen to them and accept their advice and words. But um, it's also important, I think, to have family and supportive ones, mentors that are in your life that are there to encourage you and, and to um, remind you why you're working so hard. Um, it's good just to have, I think, a balance of support. We have a few questions about life. Um, first, how do you manage marriage in a career? And second, do you ever feel pressured to fulfill the Western standard of settling down and having kids? No, I've never, I've never felt that. <laughs> um, I mean, I think it's, I think it's a combination of living in New York City, um, of being like a working professional, uh, and being so dedicated to my career and wanting to achieve something. And as a dancer. You know, I mean, a lot of dancers have children and continue to dance. Um, they're very supportive of that. But um, the path of my career was so different from most. Um, you know, I got my first opportunity to do a principal role in a classical ballet at the age of 29. Usually by 29, most like court ballet dancers and soloists are retiring, not getting their first opportunity to do a principal role. So I, I feel like that the window of me having a child during that time kind of came and went. So I think it's something that I will do later in, in life, but it's definitely something that I want to do. Um, when it comes to my husband, I was not going to settle for anyone that didn't respect and understand how much I have to give of myself in this career, and he definitely does, um, and so it works. <laughs> All right, how does dancing make you feel? Ah, um, amazing, incredible, like it's, there's nothing in life that I've ever like had that same fulfillment from, which is scary. I mean, I've often thought like, oh my God, what am I gonna do when I can't perform anymore? Like, I'm gonna be a crazy mess. <laughs> what am I gonna do to fulfill that? But um, I don't know, it's just, it's something that it's, it's hard to describe. It makes me feel all the emotions. <laughs> Misty, is there ever a point in your career that when you wanted to give up? If so, how did you overcome that? Yeah, um, I think the one time I can really pinpoint it is, um, I must have been maybe 21, 22, uh, and it was really when I was, I realized, I think for the first time that, it, you know, again, there were no other black women in the company and I was really struggling like with my body um, and uh, I had just been approached by Arthur Mitchell who was the artistic director of the Dance Theater of Harlem. And he asked me to come and take class with this company. And I was very interested, and I did. Um, and he offered me a soloist position with the company. And, you know, it was something that I really had to go back and, and really think about what it is I really wanted, like not what would be easy, not what was just being handed to me. And I felt like I would be doing the black dance community a disservice if I just stayed and danced in a group of people that looked like me. 
I, I wanted to be able to show that I could be a black woman in a white company and, and succeed, and that it was going to do more for the African-American community by being there. So that was probably one of the more difficult times, like knowing that I wasn't getting a lot of opportunities at ABT and I was being, to told, being told to lose weight, and then I turned down this soloist contract from Arthur Mitchell in the end, you know, it worked out, but it was at the time it was really, really difficult to, um, to find like my place and where I fit in in the ballet community. All right, we have a lot of young dancers with us tonight. Misty, this one may be from someone who's not quite as so young. What advice would you give to dancers starting in ballet later than most? Um, well, I have that experience, so um, I think that it's, it's important to not compare your path to anyone else's. Um, I think so much is possible. I think that there are so many companies in, in the world, um, and it's about finding the right fit for you. Uh, but I think that you have to you have to work twice as hard, you know, you've, you've missed a lot of time and training. I think I was taking three to four ballet classes a day when I first started, just trying to catch up as quickly as I could. Um, but yeah, I think working hard and not allowing yourself to lose sight of like your dreams and, and thinking you're too old. I think anything's possible. We have a lot of folks active on our Twitter feed tonight, Misty. What is your most <laughs> memorable role? Um, I think Juliet. I actually just did it like two nights ago um, in Detroit, but it's my, my all-time favorite role, and I didn't think I would ever perform it, and I didn't realize how much um, acting means to me, like as a dancer. I don't think I really understood how important it is as a dancer to be able to really connect with people and to tell a story, and Juliet probably does more acting than she does dancing in the ballet, and it's just so meaty and mm, I love it. <laughs> All right, we have a great multi-part question here from Riley, Melina, and Ava here with us in the audience. They said, love you, Misty, and they drew you as a ballerina love here. Love you, too. <laughs> We're going to give you their questions. There are six. They're rapid fire. Did your family enjoy ballet? Uh, if I'm in it, I guess. <laughs> Did you always enjoy ballet, even when you first started? Did I always, you said? Did you always enjoy it, even um, at first? I'd say the first day I did not, and then after that I did. I mean, I was on a basketball court in like socks and gym shorts, and I had no idea what I was doing. This woman was just like putting my body into positions. And I was like, I don't like this. What was, but, your, yeah. what was your very first ballet? Um, I think it was the Nutcracker. That yeah. answers the next question. Did you ever take part in the Nutcracker? Have you broken any bones while doing ballet? Um, I've not bro completely broken any bones. <laughs> partial. Um, I've had a ton of sprains and I had um, a stress reaction in my lower lumbar pretty early on in my career and I had to wear a back brace for a year and not dance. That was pretty crazy. Um, and then my most recent and most severe injury was five or six years ago and I had a plate screwed into my tibia because I had six stress fractures and three of them were called dreaded black line fractures. So they were almost full breaks through the bone. Um, yeah. <laughs> and their last question, how many performances? have you made? Oh, I have absolutely no idea. I can't even guess. I literally have no idea. <laughs> All right, one of our other young dancers wants to know, how did you become so flexible? Any tips? Um, <laughs> I definitely think it's possible to become flexible, but I was always extremely flexible before I ever danced. I didn't know what it was I was doing, but I would 
was always like in a split or doing weird things with my arms. And, um, but I think it's about doing it the right way. Um, I don't know that I agree with a lot of the like stretches and stuff that gymnasts do where you see them like with their legs on feet on chairs and they're like hanging down in the middle. Um, there's a lot of stuff that's really bad for your ligaments and your muscles, but um, I think being done the correct way with, with someone who knows about like body alignment, um, it's, yeah, I mean, the more you do anything, the better you become at it. I think it's the same way with stretching. Vanessa, who's nine, would like to know what's the most difficult dance move for you to do? Um, it changes with age, like it's constantly changing. <laughs> um, at the moment, well, I think ever since I had my injury on my left leg, it's been really difficult for me to do like um, pirouettes, like in repetition, because my leg swells up still to this day, like pretty quickly. So fuetes are probably the most intense for my surgery leg. When and how did you decide to make the move to become professional? Um, gosh, it, it all happened so quickly. You know, when I f took my first ballet class, my teacher's intention was for me to come into her school on a full scholarship because she saw potential for me to be a professional. So once I started, I agreed to train with her, um, I was kind of committing and, and saying like, okay, that's what my journey's going to be. So I'd say within a week, I made that decision at 13 years old and, and I went on to live with my teacher and train intensely. So that was, that was always the goal. All right, on our Twitter feed this evening, we have a question from a first-year dance teacher. Misty, what advice do you have on how I can help inspire my students to help them succeed? Um, I think, again, it's like a fine line with, you know, being strict and also being able to relate to them and, and to remind them that you are a dancer or were a dancer as well. I think it's good for them to see um, this connection that um, they can relate to you, and, and I think it's easier for for kids to then um, accept your advice, that it's not that you're just talking at them, that it's like, oh, you've been through this. Okay, I'm going to listen. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, a member of our studio, or our audience this evening, uh, says, as a black woman, I remember taking dance classes in which every girl was expected to wear pink tights and shoes and feeling very uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. Are there still unspoken rules or regulations that serve as barriers for women of color? How have they changed, if so? Yeah. Um, you know, it's something that's, it's so interesting. Um, I've, th there's been a lot of turnaround in, in the professional ballet world in terms of like the artistic directors and artistic staff. And it's been interesting to see like a, you know, dancers from my generation that are now artistic directors. And I've had amazing conversations with a lot of them that want to be ready and use the right language in speaking to someone who is not white in a ballet company and how to approach all of these things. So I think it's something that, that we're all still trying to figure out in the ballet world. You know, the reason that ballet dancers wear pink tights and pink shoes is because it's supposed to replicate your skin color, which in itself, it's like, all right, ballet is only for white people. And so the fact that to this day, it's, it's just become our uniform. Um, so, you know, at ABT, like, I'm, I'm in pink tights and pink shoes. It's just a part of what ABT does. Um, but I've had that, you know, depending on the role that I'm doing, I've had our artistic, our artistic director, Kevin McKenzie, say to me, like, if you want to wear skin-colored tights and skin-colored shoes, you can, you know, depending on what the role is. And again, I've had these conversations with other artistic directors that have asked me, what should I say? I say, give them the opportunity. You know, if that's something you're comfortable with, allow them to do what makes them comfortable because it's about 
creating the best line for yourself. It's not about trying to make these dancers look like everyone else. Have you ever had a time when you were tired of dancing and didn't want to do it anymore? If so, tell us about that. It happens a lot. I mean, I think everyone goes through it. I don't think every single day is like rainbows and butterflies. Um, you've got a lot of aches and pains. And, you know, in a company like ABT, which is not like most, um, you know, I've experienced guesting with other companies. And, and I've never seen a company work as hard or as much as ABT does. Um, so, of course, there are times, you know, Preparing to come on this tour, we were also working with Wayne McGregor and Alexi Rotmanski, creating two new ballets while trying to rehearse like 10 ballets for this tour. Um, so I was, for a month straight, I worked five days a week from 10.15 to 7 p.m. without a break during the day. And that can make you go insane. So I'd say last month I had those thoughts. And... Um, <laughs> And, you know, again, I think you just have to pace yourself and, and be intelligent. And, and, you know, I had a lot of conversations with my artistic director about, you know, not running myself into the ground. Misty, another question from our Ian Thompson Forum Twitter feed. What advice do you have for students that experience bullying from other dancers in the studio? Oh, um, I think it's important to say something to someone um, and not just to let that happen to you. Um, yeah, I think it's important to address it. Like, that's, it's only going to get worse, I think, if you just allow that to happen to you. It's, that's extremely difficult to deal with, especially at a young age. But when you're in an environment, like in a studio, it's, it's, you should feel so free to create and, and to be vulnerable. So I think it's important to say something. Right, a member of our audience this evening um, says, you mentioned that a big part of your success has been having support and encouragement. What advice can you offer to young dancers who don't have support and who aren't encouraged? Mm -hmm. And how can they stay true to their dream and train well when their parents and friends might be bringing them down? Um, I, I say this a lot to um, like dancers that I mentor. Like, Even if you weren't a dancer and you, um, I don't know, were going to college and... Um, I think it's, it's important to seek out um, people that are going to inspire you and people that are going to motivate you. I think it's your responsibility uh, to find that. And I feel like that's something that I understood once I got older, but not to be afraid to go after what you want and to, and to look for people that are going to give you that encouragement because they're out there. And especially in the dance community, I feel like it's such a tight-knit, warm, incredible community um, and there will be so many people that are ready to lend their you know experiences that may be similar and, and just to be there to support you. Misty what specific advice would you give to dancers who want to move to New York and become a professional? <laughs> be prepared to live in a shoebox. Um, well I think that I think it's a, the most incredible city on the planet um, and I think that as a dancer it's you will just be able to experience so many incredible things um, you will be able to see so many different performers and so many different genres and they have student tickets that are very cheap um, I think it's an amazing place to be and to grow as an artist and I say do it but just know that it's gonna be a lot of hard work <laughs> What impacts or inspires you most as an artist? Sorry, what? What impacts or inspires you most as an artist? What impacts or inspires me? Um, 
I think, well, I love watching like other art forms and, and music has always been something that um, has been like the motivating force behind why I wanted to dance. Like before I even knew what ballet was, it was, I mean, again, I wasn't exposed to classical ballet. I grew up listening to a lot of like soul and R&B and um, Mariah Carey was probably like the first one that like, I was like, oh, okay, I can move to this. And I think that was the first time I started dancing. But I think just other art forms and, and music, um, music especially. And then of course, like, speaking and seeing the next generation of like young people and and just how much better they continue to be <laughs> then you know it's it's so inspiring to to witness can you talk a little bit about your experience in on the town how did being on broadway compare to being in ballets uh, it was one of the most incredible experiences of my career um, when i was asked to do it I said no like five times because um, it was just terrifying to me. That and I didn't have time, but the thought of like learning lines and acting like with my words was terrifying. And then singing like that, I don't sing. Um, so uh, they just kept coming back and, and you know, they literally worked it around my schedule, which was crazy. So I was like, oh, gotta do it. I don't have, I have no more excuses. <laughs> They're like, so when are you available? And we told them. They're like, all right, those are the dates you're gonna dance. I was like, okay. Um, I ended up learning the entire uh, show in, I think, two weeks. Um, I mean, it, it was very a very intense process. And I think the very first show, I literally feel like I just blacked out and like, I like woke up when I was done and my audience was clapping and I was like, I have no idea what just happened. <laughs> um, but then like, get, you know, having, as a dancer, you don't often get to perform the same ballet for two weeks straight, you know, especially at ABT, we're constantly changing works. So to be able to really focus and hone in on that one character and really get used to it, it was, it, it was so hard for me to leave and it was really sad and I cried a lot, but I'm actually performing um, this summer with Tony Yazbek, who is the lead in On the Town. Um, we're doing a small pot of from On the Town um, at, where is it, in DC, um, at Wolf Trap, yeah. Do you use positive self-talk? And if so, would you share your mantra? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I, I don't know that I have like something that I always say to myself, but um, I'm just, and it happens all the time when you're performing, like something happens and, it's, and if it's not exactly how you wanted it to go, like I'm always saying like, let it go, move on. Like don't let that weight hold you down for the rest of the performance. Like again, try and be in the moment and enjoy it. But I just am constantly reminding myself of how fortunate that I am, how happy I am to be doing something that I absolutely love and am so passionate about and not that many people have that opportunity to do that. And um, that it's gonna be over one day and just to really just be in the moment and enjoy it as much as possible. Now a question I thought Bill might ask. What do you think <laughs> of the show Dance Moms? Just kidding, Bill. <laughs> <laughs> Is that like your favorite, favorite show? I knew no. it. I knew <laughs> so I haven't seen it that, I mean, I, I think I saw a couple of episodes when it first came out, so I'm not that familiar with it. But I can say that Every dance show that's on TV now is doing something positive for the art form. It's, it's bringing dance and music into people's homes. 
um, you know, and, and I think it's reaching so many people. So I think that all of these shows are, are positive in some way. It may be reaching some young boy that would never have known what dance was and never felt they could be a part of it. And now it's in their home and they, they see something that's possible. You spoke earlier with Bill and Ann about athleticism. What other sports did you participate in when you were young and throughout your life? I didn't do anything. I mean, I, li I was so shy and I didn't feel a connection with anything. I was never a part of um, any sport. I literally just like existed and went to school. Um, but I was the only person in my family that wasn't an athlete, which is so interesting. So I guess I kind of, you know, played around with my brothers. Um, basketball is my favorite sport, but um, yeah, I'd say they, I would, they would make me wrestle with them because I was so little <laughs> that they could just like throw me around and put me in crazy positions. Um, but no, I didn't play anything. What about the Olympics? Do you have a favorite winter Olympic sport? Winter, oh, I don't know. I haven't seen anything yet. I've been really busy. I haven't seen anything yet. But um, Lindsey Vaughn is my favorite. Tell us a little bit, Misty, how do you prepare to dance, say, Stravinsky versus Tchaikovsky? Hmm. Um, I mean, Stravinsky is really uh, difficult to dance to if you don't, or if you're not that familiar with the music. So, um, like with Firebird, for instance, Stravinsky, uh, it took me months of listening to this music. Like the first time I heard it, it literally just, there were just so many notes and, and when you're being taught choreography and you're told to go on this part and you're like, I literally have no idea when it's gonna happen. So you're just like, oh, um, So I think it's, it's important to um, just have the music be so in your bones that it allows you to dance. But the two are so extremely different. Right. What do you think of the lack of male dancers in ballet and the mentality surrounding that subject? Um, it's, yeah, it's interesting. I, you know, again, in Europe, it's really not an issue. And I think that it's, it's our society that doesn't um, really, maybe they're not, again, educated in what classical dance is. Because once people are in the studio and they see it hands-on, it's like, oh my gosh, like they're so strong and it's so masculine and it's so beautiful. And um, again, I just think it's, it's about uh, creating an environment where a boy is going to feel comfortable being a part of an art form like dance or like, you know, like ballet. Um, I think that's our responsibility as Americans to not just say like you, as a, as a boy, all you can do is play football. And I think that male dancers are stronger than football players. <laughs>
You've talked a little bit about your family. Give some advice to families of dancers here, siblings or parents or grandparents. What's mm -hmm. the best advice you can share with them in supporting the dancer? Yeah, I think it's important to, um, to be there for your young dancer, um, but also not to be too overbearing. Um, I've seen so many dancers get discouraged because their parents wanted them to be a dancer so bad. Um, or the opposite of not having that real support so they didn't feel, you know, encouraged um, and like it was something they, they should be doing. So I think it's, it's such a hard balance, but um, being there for them and allowing them to feel comfortable enough to come and, and ask for advice or ask questions. All right, thank you so much, Misty. I know on behalf of everyone in the Thompson Forum and the Lead Center for Performing Arts, we want to thank you for inspiring thank us this you. evening. Thank you so much. Thank you so much.